Welcome to the ROTC Scholarship Podcast, hosted by former Army ROTC Professor of Military Science, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Rob Kirkland. In these episodes, we explore how to best prepare yourself to obtain one of these valuable scholarships for those applicants who wish to attend a college or university and become officers in the military. The application process can be complex and confusing. This podcast works to make it more understandable. And now, the ROTC Scholarship Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the uh, early commissioning program of the United States Army. And today, we have a guest, a a former captain, EOD officer in the U.S. Army, who is a uh, graduate of an early commissioning program and then went on to a career as a Army officer. So I want to introduce to everybody... John Vanderveer. John, it's great to have you uh, on the ROTC Scholarship Podcast. And we're interested first to uh, learn a little bit about yourself and your background and and where you're at right now. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you having me on. So a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Sacramento, California. After graduating high school, I received a call from a small military college in Missouri, Wentworth Military Academy. They offered me a scholarship to commission as part of the ECP program. And so I went there for two years and got my associate's degree and commissioned into the National Guard back home in California. And I commissioned into the infantry and the 160th Infantry Regiment out of Los Angeles. And I went to California Baptist University to finish my bachelor's degree. Once I finished that in 2008, I was assessed ordnance. And so when I went active duty, I had the opportunity to volunteer for the Explosive Ordnance Disposal Program. So after officer basic course, I spent a year in EOD school down in Alabama and Florida. And from there, they sent me up to Alaska for three years. So I spent three years up in Alaska in two different units and then went to the Captain's Career Course in Virginia before finaling out my career as a company commander in Missouri at Fort Leonard Wood. After leaving the Army, started a family, have two daughters, Lila and Cora, who are four and three. And I started working for the Honda North American Purchasing up in Ohio. And I did that for about three and a half years, four years before moving down to the Nashville area to become a high school teacher. During that time, I also finished a master's degree in organizational leadership, and I'm about one course away from finishing a master's degree in education right now. So it's pretty much what's gone on the last several years here. Yeah. So when you were finishing out your last two years to get your bachelor's degree at Cal Baptist, I was your professor of military science at Claremont McKenna College in California. So I'm sure in this podcast, we'll talk about how ECP second lieutenants are sort of managed in their last two years before they receive their bachelor's degree. So we'll talk about that. But that's sort of both my background with you and how I met you back in the uh, late 2000s. Yes, sir. Let's talk about the early commissioning program. Now, you're obviously a product of that, and that's why we're talking uh, today. And I just want just to get an idea of what that is and your background in, in regards to the ECP. Yes, sir. So the ECP program initially was created to support the Reserve and National Guard side of the Army. And at the time, in in the early 2000s, there were five military junior colleges. Now there's only four. They're kind of scattered all over the country. But how it would work is as a freshman coming straight out of high school into a traditional four-year program, your freshman year, you would be a military science or MS1 cadet. 
because of the ECP program, it's essentially an accelerated program. So as a freshman in college, I was an MS3. So after I finished my freshman year of college, I went to advanced camp. And then after my sophomore year in college, I commissioned into the reserves or into the National Guard. And it is a different type of commission than an active duty commission. You have to be accepted into that state or into the reserves and you'll receive a commission from that state. From there, you can either be traditional ECP where you stay in the National Guard or you can have an active duty obliger or or contract where you switch to active duty. But in that case, you have to reassess. And that's the route that I did. And with it, after you graduate high school, if you've done three to four years of JROTC, you've done basic training in AIT or you have gone to the basic camp then you are eligible to get the scholarship and contract with the the programs, essentially the same way you'd contract with the traditional four-year program, doing a PT test, having a certain GPA, things like that. Right. Uh, When people are applying for the traditional three- or four-year scholarship as a high school senior, what we often see during the application process is that they will offer candidates the ECP scholarship. So that is an offer of a two-year scholarship if you've applied for a, say, three- or four-year scholarship, and then the candidate needs to decide whether or not they take the ECP two-year scholarship to go to a school like New Mexico Military Institute or Valley Forge Military Academy or decide to continue to compete for the three- or four-year scholarship. So that's, I think, the majority of people who are probably listening in on this podcast, whether it's the candidate or their parents, have probably been offered this ECP scholarship in place of the four-year or three-year advanced designee scholarship. So they are sort of having to choose between the two. Maybe they haven't been offered the three- or four-year scholarship yet and are being offered that ECP. So, But your situation was different. You weren't competing for the three- or four-year scholarship. You had been contacted directly by Wentworth, right? Yes, sir. Okay, great. Now, Wentworth closed down, right? So we've so I've hit two. I hit uh, New Mexico Military Institute and Valley Forge. What are the other two early commissioning programs? So you have New Mexico Military Institute, you have Valley Forge, you have Georgia Military College, and then the last one is it's Marion Marion Military Institute. That's right. That yeah, that's in Alabama. So Marion Military, New Mexico Military Institute, Valley Forge, and then Georgia Military College. So you got Alabama. Georgia, New Mexico, and Pennsylvania. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, that's too bad what happened with uh, Wentworth, huh? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, it's, it's, it's sad. Yeah, yeah, I know. So that closed down in 2017, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Okay, well, the ECP obviously is a great program. So, I mean, when you got out of high school, you were contacted by Wentworth, and you went to the basic course at Fort Knox in Kentucky. Can you just explain to us quickly what you learned at the basic course and what the purpose of it is? Yes, sir. So before I even went to the basic course, I went to what's known as mini camp at at the campus. And many of these schools run these type of preparation camps, if you will. So I went to Wentworth for about two weeks where I went through basic, how to march, how to, we did the zeroing of the rifle or disassembly of a rifle with the simulator, basic land navigation, a couple of those skills. And then when you go to Fort Knox, essentially it, it's almost like a, ba- when I went, it's almost like a basic training. So we had drill sergeants who would yell and make us do pushups and stuff like that, but you're put in more of leadership positions. So uh, they rotate. Uh, typically when somebody goes to basic training, there might be one or two soldiers who are put in leadership positions throughout the course. For this, there was rapid opportunity for you to be placed in leadership positions. 
and you would go through some of the basic things such as drill and ceremonies, rifle marksmanship, physical training, obstacle course, leader reaction course. We did the night infiltration course where you uh, crawl under barbed wire with machine gun fire going ahead. Did a lot of those different things, the water safety course. And then after that, once you finish that course, uh, which is about a month, if I recall correctly, uh, from there, then you're eligible to competing for that ECP scholarship or that contract with the school. Right. I'm going to, have to probably uh, give some background on the ECP as far as if they're offered, some of them are going to be offered that scholarship while they're competing for the three or four year scholarship. So perhaps they're offered that scholarship based on the completion of the basic course. So that's that allows them to start as a MS3 cadet. So uh, it sounds to me like you were very uh, busy. I mean, you went to kind of a two-week prep at Wentworth. You went to this month-long camp, and then and now you're a freshman in college at Wentworth and really spending this year, which would be your MS3 year, but you're a freshman in college, and you're, you have about a year to get, you have an academic year to get ready for the advanced camp I guess it was at Fort Lewis at the time. Now it's at Fort Knox. So how did you find, did you find yourself in an advantage or disadvantage in regards to your peers at traditional ROTC programs where they go at the end of their junior or MS3 year? Uh, I think it was a steep learning curve. Just that transition out of high school into college for everybody is, is a learning curve. For myself, since I'd had the basic camp and I'd done four years of JROTC in a very established program, I knew a lot of the things that I would have already gained my freshman or sophomore year as an ROTC cadet. The disadvantage side of it is just simple maturity. Being an 18 and 19-year-old, there's a a vast difference between a 20 and 21-year-old as far as just maturity level and life experience. Uh, And so uh, there's a steep learning curve in that end as far as leaving the nest from home. But I felt that my instructors at that program, they knew how to operate and train those cadets to be as prepared as possible for for advanced camp. I think that the only advantage I would have had going to a four-year university is that I would just had some time under my belt doing these things repeatedly, specifically tactical stuff. It was, it was something I had to learn and made it through it and, and did fine with my peers. And to the point that a lot of times that they didn't know whether I was a, a 19-year-old or whether I was one of the 20-somethings. And so that, I think that that's a good thing and that they can look at you as a younger person and know that you're on par with them. Did you consider yourself sort of above average ECP cadet? I think I think I was average to, to above average, yes, sir. So clearly preparation is very, very important. You're going to be a little bit younger than you know perhaps people that you're going to be evaluated against at the advanced camp. So that's something to, to keep in mind. That is something that certainly you can overcome. What's it like at these junior military colleges? Is it like just is it just like the senior military colleges as far as like places like the Citadel and Virginia Military Institute? Is it military life twenty four seven? How's that work at the junior military colleges? It is. The, the difference is, is that most military junior colleges are a junior high. Like, for instance, Wentworth was a junior high, a high school, and a junior college. And so we had high school cadets and junior high cadets that we, we interacted with on a daily basis. It is just like a senior military college in that you have the ROTC program where you may is separate from the actual core cadets. So you may be a certain rank in the ROTC program or a certain position, but in the core of cadets, you're a completely different rank or a different, different structure. But these military junior colleges are normally based off of, of a senior military college. So for instance, Wentworth was based off of VMI and their system. So students who would show up to Wentworth were known as recruits at training or RATS, which is a, a VMI tradition. 
And a lot of our, our traditions were, were based off of those other senior military colleges. So you had barracks, you had make your bed, you had to, you had a rank structure, you went to class in military uniform. Is that, that's all correct? Yes, sir. So unlike a, a normal traditional college where you can go in flip-flops and shorts, every day I was wearing whatever the uniform of the day would be. So just like a typical college, for me, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday were core classes, your normal history, English classes, science, things like that. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays were labs. And so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we wore the typical duty dress uniform. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we would wear the combat uniform or old school BDUs. We would do this throughout. We ran PT in our school PT uniform throughout the town. And the people knew who the cadets were in the small little town. We ran all over town. And so you were, you were constantly doing that. On Sundays, we did pass and reviews and full dress parades and barracks inspections. And we had about five formations a day between our dinner or our meals and our activities period that we would have to go to. And you, you do that completely for the entire time you're there. Right. And what, what percentage would you say of the junior college cadets uh, that were at Wentworth were Army ROTC cadets? So for Wentworth itself, it was about 94. 90 to 95% were ROTC cadets. We had two separate programs at Wentworth for ROTC. We had the ECP program, which was uh, mostly our prior service or students who had already been to basic training or had done JROTC for four years, things like that. And then we had a program known as 2 plus 2 with our, another school in Missouri where students would be the MS1 and MS2 at Wentworth, and then they would transfer to that four university. So that was a vast majority of all of our college students. We maybe had out of a small cadet body of about 150 for junior college cadets, maybe 10 to 15 were just normal civilians who were in a military program that were not affiliated with ROTC. Is that the case with all of the uh, schools like New Mexico Military and Valley Forge? Is that is that about the same or is it different dynamic there? I'm not sure. I would have to, to talk to somebody who went there. For Wentworth itself, because we were in a very small town, uh, that is one of the driving reasons. Uh, I'm not sure if the other schools, for instance, NIMI is outside of Roswell, New Mexico. So they might have a larger population of civilian cadets who are just there for that experience, but I'm not positive. Yeah, I think it might be, it might vary in population. I know that I've, I have several people I know who went to New Mexico Military Institute and they were students and cadets there, but weren't participating in ROTC. So I guess it would vary based upon where you went. So so you get to your second year at Wentworth. You've been to the advanced course at Fort Lewis at the time, and you came back and obviously you have a great year there where you have so much experience and now you're ready to lead cadets right at Wentworth. Yes, sir. So right after I finished advanced camp, I had the opportunity to go to a DCLC, which is a drill cadet troop leader. And so I shadowed drill sergeants and a, and a company XO for basic training companies. So I had that a full summer of being placed in leadership position or observing even real army before I came back. And that helped me to really think about how to, how to act as a leader, as a cadet officer now in the, in the cadet corps, it changed it as more of a preparation role for you're going to commission in less than a year. So you need to start acting this out every day and building those repetitions of doing this. And it really set me up for success. You're getting ready to graduate from Wentworth. And here's the first big difference between you and somebody in a regular ROTC program. Your regular ROTC program, say at Claremont McKenna, you're in your MS2 year and you're preparing for camp the next year. Now you're getting ready to graduate from Wentworth. You have what, an associate's degree and then you get commissioned as a second lieutenant. Talk about that a little bit. What is exactly your status 
when you graduate in our commission? How does the army see you and what, what is your, what is your status? Okay. So you have two different types of soldiers in the army. You have an active duty component, and then you have the reserve or national guard component. And with ECP, you have to, before you graduate, you have to find a, a new college that you're going to, to transfer to. In my case, I went to California Baptist University. I had to find the ROTC program that sponsored that school, which happened to be Claremont McKenna. And I had to find the National Guard in California had to accept me and my reserve commission. And so when I was accepted into California with the reserve commission, I received a paragraph and line number for, for the infantry unit there in L.A. And that unit says, yes, we understand that this is a non-deployable lieutenant who is not basic course qualified and that they have a position for me. And from there, when I commissioned, I was basically transferred straight over to Cal Baptist and linked up with with you at Claremont McKenna and, and started as, as a reserve officer. The big difference between a traditional ROTC commission and a ECP commission is that for those two years that you are fin- you have a timeline when you finish your associate's degree, I believe you have you have 36 months to complete your bachelor's degree in order to to maintain your commission. And during that time you are non-deployable and a unit cannot tap you to go on even non-traditional deployments such as Kosovo or to Kuwait or something like that, you are basically untouchable and you spend your two years there and you drill in a unit just like a normal officer would. I I was a platoon leader for those two years. Your focus is finishing your degree. Right. And you're paid as a second lieutenant, correct? Yes, sir. How about uh, as far as how the military sees this as time and service? So that was a little unique, and I found that out later on when I transferred to active duty. The two years in the National Guard, they look at the actual, unlike a a traditional officer where you're an officer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in the National Guard, you're looked at just during your drill weekends or during the times that you're actually acting in that role. And so that on your DD-214, when you get out of the military, it'll show just a, a little variance there of how many days, how many months, how many years you have as a reserve component officer. And so, for example, when I finished my bachelor's degree and was getting ready to go to bullet two in a, my officer basic course, technically during that summer between, I was not an active duty officer. I was still in the reserve component until the day that I started bullet two. And so during that time, it doesn't count in total for your military service. So there's about a month or two that just didn't count altogether. And so it's it's a little different in how they look at it as far as whether you're active or, or reserve component. Now, what if you stayed in the reserve or guard? Well, how would that two years be counted? It's still counted both ways as being in service for two years. It's just the way that they count the actual for how, you know, how you're paid. It's almost this, I would equate it to if you're on the clock or off the clock mentality. And so, uh, whereas an active duty component, you are on the clock always. And that the reserve component, you'll have a regular job on the outside world. And then you go to drill one week in a month, two weeks in the summertime, maybe a little longer. The way that the California National Guard looked at it was that I'd done two years. By the time I finished my bachelor's degree, I was promotable to first lieutenant, penned first lieutenant right as I went active duty. And so that set me apart a little different as going through through officer basic course as a first lieutenant instead of a, a second lieutenant. They, they look at you different. You have a little bit of different experiences already. Uh, if I had stayed in the National Guard, whatever the unit was that I was attached to, in this case, an infantry unit, I would have gone on and done whatever that unit was branched. So I didn't have to compete for my branching in the same way that you do on active duty. So for instance, if a potential candidate here wants to be an infantry officer and that's all they ever want to be, 
they have the opportunity in the National Guard to go through that unit, go to infantry school and, and be an infantry officer. Whereas when you go active duty, you have to reassess and you are ranked on what branch you want. And so I believe you and I had that conversation on that hill down near Claremont McKenna, where we talked about my assessing and I put ordinance with EOD as my second choice because you had heard that EOD was getting possibly coming their own branch at the time. And I put infantry as my first choice and I ended up getting ordinance and it all worked out, but you have to recompete again to get active duty branching. Well, good. That's a great overview, uh, Jonathan. Thanks for that. So when you were at Cal Baptist University, you were obviously drilling in the guard, getting great experience as a second lieutenant there. What was your relationship with ROTC uh, at that point? I mean, you're really not at a cadet. What was the role of the ROTC while you're in that two years at Cal Baptist? I think for myself and then even for, for you and the Claremont McKenna staff, it was a, a unique experience that I'm very, I'm very blessed. And I look back on and smile. I was lucky that I had you and, and Captain Musgrave and several of the others who, who really took time to help set me up as, as a young lieutenant who was not officer basic course qualified to help show me some of the things that I need to be doing outside of me being in my National Guard unit with my company commander and my platoon sergeant to help mentor me. It was just extra mentorship. And you offered me the opportunity to help establish. So for instance, California Baptist did not have an ROTC program, but we had several commuter students. And so you offered me a chance to help lead PT for them in the morning so they didn't have to commute 40 minutes through LA traffic. And eventually that led into now California Baptist has its own ROTC program. And so there was a lot of opportunity of growth there and helping organize things that I might not have gotten if I had just commissioned out of out of a four-year degree and then gone directly into active duty. I wouldn't have gotten some of those networking and some of those, those community building skills that I did get in the National Guard and that I did get through working with Claremont. It's credit to you that you, know, you were involved that much in the ROTC program. But when you look at it from minimum requirement is really, really just to check in, right? Just to, and then that's about it, right? It is. And it's a double-edged sword. So full disclosure, my weakness is I'm a weak runner and I, I hated running in ROTC. I hated running in the army. It's harder for accountability because you can escape. As a 20-something-year-old, luckily I went to a, to a small Baptist college, but if you go to, say, um, Arizona State University, where it's kind of a party school, you have the real potential of being sucked into things that might get you off course. And so the inherent responsibility there is one that you are an officer, that you have to be working out. You have to be developing yourself professionally, checking in with your professors and making sure that you maintain a certain GPA. You have to be checking in with that ROTC unit and, and notifying them of what's going on. They're going to be your lifeline because they're going to be the ones that are helping make sure that your school's paid for. And so making sure that you're on track. And so I was really familiar with our HR rep there at at Claremont, you know, she helped me through getting everything organized with the school because California Baptist did not have a veterans uh, veterans liaison at the time. And so you're going to have to you have to take ownership of that. It's all about attitude. So as long as you show up with a good attitude with that program and you're not a burden on that program, they'll take care of you and they'll allow you to to really grow and they'll give you opportunities to do things. Yeah, that's awesome. And then that brings me to a question I should have asked earlier, but when you graduated from Wentworth, did you, did you have a scholarship to Cal Baptist or how, how did that work for you? I didn't. As I was getting ready to to graduate Wentworth, I looked at, at Oklahoma State where I'd been accepted and I have family in Oklahoma, but I decided that I wanted to be closer to home in California. 
and I applied to California State University in Sacramento. And on a whim, I applied to California Baptist because I had some friends who had suggested it. I was accepted to Cal Baptist. And because I had a good enough GPA, I received their president scholarship from CBU, which is, it, it's a small scholarship. It was maybe $3,000, $5,000, but that, but that helps a lot. And at the time I was figuring out how I was going to pay for, for school with loans and things like that. And I'll never forget, I was on the corner of the, the music building and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go buy my books. This is all going to work out. And while I was standing in line, I got a call from a friend and he said, hey, there's this new scholarship. If you add two years to your contract, they'll pay for the rest of school. So I immediately picked up the phone and called you. And uh, you said, yeah, I've heard of that. And we'll, we'll figure it out. Go ahead and get your stuff. And, and it all worked out. And now hindsight 2020, that was the, you know, the Ike Skelton scholarship. Ironically, that it's it's a former WMA guy, a Wentworth guy, Ike Skelton. So it ended up working out for me to, to go to CBU. And at the time, I didn't have the room and board scholarship with it. So I had to figure out how I was going to pay for that. And now CBU, they add that onto it. So many schools, uh, what will happen is the ROCC scholarship will cover either room and board or it will cover just tuition and fees and things like that. And so you have to have a game plan of how you're going to pay for that. Luckily, in my case, Wentworth paid for it when I went there, and then Cal Baptist paid for it my senior year while I was there. Yeah, the Ike Skelton. Ike Skelton was a congressman from Missouri who, as a Wentworth graduate, who started the Ike Skelton Scholarship was basically to bridge the last two years of to get ECP cadets or ECP second lieutenants to the last two years. It's still in place today, and, and from talking to several people who are currently at the ECP program's cadre, they tell me that almost everybody who requests Ike Skelton Scholarship is able to obtain those. So that's obviously continues to be good news for ECP cadets and second lieutenants. You mentioned to me that it's about additional time that's tacked on. It's what, one year for every additional year you get the scholarship, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So I guess for you go active duty, how many years is that total if you went active duty after you graduated with your bachelor degree? So I believe it's six years for active duty. So in my case, did the two years National Guard, I did seven years active duty. When I got out in April 2015, there was no IRR time or individual uh, ready reserve time. It was assigned to me. If I had done four years active duty and then gotten out, I would still have some IRR time. And so the way to look at, at contracts, and this is whether somebody enlists or they go through ROTC traditionally or an ECP program, is a majority of contracts are going to have a specific time where you're active duty, and then they're going to have a reserve component time or an IRR time. Each person is kind of individual. It's not necessarily a... Um, Everybody has the same. For the most part, everybody has the same eight-year contract. It'd be four active, four inactive. But because I did the two National Guard time, two years National Guard, that counted towards that. So did six years active, two National Guard, and then I was in for another year just on my own. And when I got out, I had no IRR time. Right. And so for if you decide to stay in the Guard or Reserve after you got your bachelor degree, it's about the same amount of time. So the difference is, is obviously if you go on active duty after your bachelor degree, say from Cal Baptist, you get that the four years that you got for the two years that scholarship you took at Wentworth and then another two years or four plus two because of the 
two years scholarship at Cal Baptist, so a total of six years. So somewhat confusing, but there's a little bit more time on your contract if you go active duty versus staying in the uh, Guard and Reserve. But it's a great uh, program for the Ike Skelton Scholarship. And there are several schools, uh, such as, say, Syracuse University and other schools that would provide you room and board. Cal Baptist is one of them also that Ike Skelton Scholarship will pick up the full tuition and then these schools kick in room and board. So check with the ECP programs because they have relationships with other colleges and universities. Yes, sir. And then one thing I'd, I'd add to that is uh, as a high school teacher telling students as far as going to a specific four-year university, I have several who, you know, they want to go to the Ohio State University or they want to go to Harvard or something something along those lines. That transition from a junior college to a four-year university is, is possible. So if you have your heart set on a specific you know, school that your parents went to, reach out to that school and the ROC program there and see if they can't work that with the school. In the case of Cal Baptist, is they had no experience really with ROTC, and so after I got there and, and the Ike Skelton Scholarship, they started discussing things, and they were able to add that room and board the very next year. Some of that's also going to be on, on your own and, and try to reduce taking loans out if possible. I was a resident assistant my senior year, and that helped cover some of that cost, and so I ended up with four years of private college with less than five thousand dollars in debt. That's huge. And so I think the ECP is a valid program, uh, especially if you might not have the resources to go to a traditional school and compete for for the four-year scholarship. Or if you go to a school and you, you somehow don't get it, there are opportunities out there and you just have to find the solution. And that's going to help you in your military career as well as, as being a problem solver. When you finish up your two years at a junior military college, how competitive are you for like, say, going to a top ranked school, say like Ohio State University or Vanderbilt or something something like that? Do they see you as a veteran or as a second lieutenant? And if you have really good grades with the junior military college, is that are you an attractive candidate as a transfer student? I'm not positive as far as how they view you as a veteran. I know that I was a veteran. I Cal Baptist looked at me as a veteran student as serving in the National Guard. And so with that, that is a demographic that looks attractive on schools. I know that, that several schools like Ohio State University has a strong veterans program there. As far as transferring into a higher end school, your GPA is critical. Whether you're coming out of high school or you're coming out of a junior college and transferring, having a strong GPA and having the correct courses that you need to transfer over is very, very important. And that's going to set you apart from somebody who is just coming off the street uh, that maybe has a lower GPA. And so it's important that you're, you're taking it serious while you're there. And that's one of the good things. Another good thing about a small military college is it's, my classes were relatively small. I didn't have to run all over the place and, and fight to get into a class and then it gets canceled. They were small classes of maybe 15 to 20 students, and I got one-on-one time with the instructors. It really helped me to get my GPA up my freshman and sophomore year and that that transition period from high school. So it, it helped me as far as when I got to Cal Baptist being more prepared for that academic rigor in college. Yeah, that's great. I, I know that uh, Cal Baptist is a great school, so it's it sounds like that uh, Wentworth prepared you well for your time at Cal Baptist, and clearly the time that you've got since you've been commissioned, you know, you've gotten a, a couple of master's degrees, and obviously has have uh, are teaching high school now, and I know trying to get more education under your belt. So it does, I think, Wentworth and every the other schools have done 
you very well, I think. Let's talk uh, just uh, a little bit about commissioning into active duty. Now, you're at Cal Baptist. You already commissioned at Wentworth. You sort of have a relationship with Claremont McKenna Army ROTC, but you're not a cadet. You're a second lieutenant. So now you're getting ready to be assessed, and you're going to be assessed with the senior. When you are a senior and getting ready to graduate, you are then being assessed with the MS4s or the Military Science 4 senior cadets that are in the ROTC program. How does that work? Essentially, it works the same way as a cadet in that program. They send your packet up to the Army, and you rank out all of the branch choices. So, for instance, my first choice was infantry. Second choice was ordnance with EOD. Third choice was engineer. And you go and you compete against all of those other lieutenants going up. It is also the same way as if someone had gone through a traditional four-year program and commissioned into the National Guard, and then they decide to switch into active duty. They have to assess to needs of big army, if you will. And so they will they will look at your GPA, they'll look at your PT score, they'll look at your qualifications, and then they'll assess you whatever branch that they need you in or that you rank for. When you do this, you also put down what posting assignments that you want on your wish list. And so for me, ordinance at the time, EOD 2008, was seeing a growth. I got branched ordinance and I got my duty assignment choice, which at the time I, had a, I applied for Fort Drum, New York. I was headed to 10th Mountain, and then I volunteered for the EOD program and, and kind of went elsewhere from there. Right. Your score that you get at the advanced camp is also put in. So, you know, in other words, the, what the score you got when you were at the end of your freshman year at Wentworth is then put into the computation for your order of merit. You have to refresh my memory here, but I don't believe you get ranked by the professor of military science because the professor of military science has to rank all of his MS4 cadets. And I believe because of your uh, situation as a second lieutenant already, that, that that does not apply to you or maybe minimally applies to you. So basically the other factors that you're talking about. So second lieutenants that have gotten their commission through ECP compete. The important takeaway is they compete for active duty and serve on active duty. So that's an important uh, point here, I think, for those who are considering the ECP program and and realize that, uh, you know, that you also have that option to go active duty or stay in the Guard or Reserve. Correct, sir. Obviously, you've had successful nine years or eight years in, in the military you kind of have hindsight right now, kind of as a summary here, what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of going the uh, ECP route? And if you could do it all over again, would you have done that? From my background and my family and their financial situation, the ECP route definitely worked for me, being able to have college paid for. If I had gone to a traditional four-year school, I would have to go to that school and compete while I was there, which means I'd already have to pay my tuition. I'd already have to pay my fees out of pocket. And if I get that scholarship, then yes, the army will cover it. But if not, then I'll have to take loans. And so there's a lot of stressors there. And so uh, I think that, well, I would have liked to have gone to a four-year university as far as uh, just continuity and making friends and being with those friends for four years. I think for me personally, I think that the ECP program really worked for me. I got to spend two years in a small campus. Uh, that was a good transition period for me as a young adult. I made some really good friends there, some who I'm still still in contact with today. If I go to Missouri, there's people in town I still go see. In fact, there's people in town who call, my kids call grandma and grandpa. And so it's a more of a family tight-knit community instead of just a person at a university. 
that's a lineage that you're going to get from any military school you go to. And alumni of a military school is, is very different than just a traditional four-year school, uh, unless it's one of these prestigious schools. And so I think if I had to do it all over again, and I had, I had the same kind of situations going on when I was 18, I would definitely go through the ECP program. I may change what I did in the National Guard or may have changed what my major would have been when I transferred college. Now that I'm now a teacher, I might have done education instead of history. But I think that, that overall, the, the program served me well. It, it allowed me to go and pursue my dream of becoming an Army officer. Uh, I was placed in some unique situations where I had the opportunity to lead that I might not have had at a younger age. Being 20 and 21 placed in leadership positions really set me up for success now as a 34-year-old. Outside of the military, I can look back at those times and I can gather some good takeaways from those times that I might not have gotten had I gone through a traditional program. Yeah, so there's definitely advantages to the ECP program. And certainly, I think you're a person that took full advantage of all of the things that the ECP program can give you that I see. One is certainly being able to get that scholarship up front and getting that associate's degree, getting commissioned early ahead of your peers. Third is getting that two years of second lieutenant experience in the guard or reserve where you're non-deployable, where you kind of gain that experience. And then completing your bachelor degree and then going to the you know officer basic course, either on active duty or in, or in the guard and reserve. And then having just all that ex- leadership experience that you refer to under your belt that people and in a normal ROTC program would not have. So tremendous program. You are certainly a messenger, I think, Jonathan, for the ECP program. And uh, I certainly encourage our listeners who are considering this as a route to really take it into account, because I I do think it does provide a great number of advantages. Thanks for uh, coming on, uh, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. Uh, It was great to catch up with you again after uh, several years of being away from each other. And thanks for your insights into the uh, ECP. Yes, sir. And uh, if there's any way that I can help someone out there who's interested in this program or in these program or has more questions, if they can connect through you and shoot me an email or text message, and I'll try to look back or talk to people I know and try to get them some answers. It is a big decision, whichever route that you choose. But that is something that's important is that there's multiple routes to achieve your dreams or achieve your goals and whatever thing you want to do in life. And ECP really worked for me and it is a viable route that is an option for people. So I appreciate you having me on, sir. Yeah, Jonathan, thanks. Take care, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to the ROTC Scholarship Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please leave a quick review. If you have any questions or want more information about ROTC or our consulting services, please visit our website at rotcconsulting.com. Take care, and we'll see you next time.